2: This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Hash on a Thursday afternoon. I'm Jensen Essie here with Anna Barakova and Will Foxley bringing you the latest and greatest in crypto.
0: Definitely some big news. XRP is bouncing on the news, of course, because it's mentioned here. The judge said that public issuance and selling of XRP may not constitute a security or unregistered security, while the filing and selling of XRP to institutions does constitute an unregistered security. So we sort of have a slight difference in the case that a lot of people were not expecting. Uh, this may mean that XRP is sold on exchanges and just generally wherever you can buy XRP may not be in registered security, but selling it to an institution from Ripple Labs itself does constitute a security. Uh, it adds some for further nuance to the whole crypto conversation about how these institutions do collect and purchase cryptocurrency and how the masses that purchase cryptocurrency on exchanges interact with it. This, of course, has been going on for about three years, this case, uh, with first a $1.3 billion lawsuit levied by the SEC against Ripple Labs. One of the creators and originators of the XRP cryptocurrency. So Jen.
2: I just want to say I relied on another news organization for my information on this story and they failed me. I won't it's say breaking. Breaking. I won't say who it was, but you know, yeah, we're all just compiling the information here. <laughs> Anna, what's your reaction?
1: Oh, well, that's why you always should read your news, your crypto news on CoinDesk, right? uh, Yeah, uh, no, I think it's uh, I think it's really interesting that even though I guess we cannot yet say that the judge took, took the side of Ripple, but uh, there is a clear argument that, you know, it's not enough to sell uh, some tokens to retail to for, for it to be deemed securities and that I would say it kind of might, you know, make a dent on, uh, on the SEC's offense on crypto in which it's ready to deem basically any token a security if it just was like trading on an exchange and sold to retail. And the judge says like, wait a second, that's not enough. You need to, you need to prove something else here. It's probably going to be an important precedent for all the SEC versus crypto lawsuits that we see.
0: It's definitely it's a big news. Of course, this goes back to December of 2020 when this lawsuit was first filed. So it takes a while for us to get some news on these lawsuits, but it does eventually happen. Okay, let's turn over to another huge bombshell this morning. That is the arrest of Alex Mashinsky, the former CEO of Celsius. The chief revenue officer was also arrested this morning. As uh, charges were pressed forward by the SEC, CFTC, and the FTC uh, after the failed crypto lender went under, it's been attacked by many different regulators for perceived wrongdoing against customers. There's over a $4 billion fine levied against Celsius also this morning. That fine will be passed over as Celsius goes through its Chapter 11 process and is issuing any funds it does have back to constituents who are owed. Money. Alish Mashinsky, of course, was well known within the crypto space for years. He's also the inventor or claimed inventor of the Voice Over Internet Protocol System, or VoIP, which they definitely market a lot in order to get into the limelight in crypto. And since their fallout last year, about one year ago as of now, uh, they've been giving money back to communities. And they've also seen Alish Mashinsky sort of fighting back for his reputation. But now he's behind bars or going behind bars. Jen, what do you make of the news?
2: Another executive behind bars. I think the timing is definitely interesting. We have the SEC lawsuits against Coinbase, against Binance. We have the Ripple lawsuit which we're expecting an answer from in the in the coming months. And now we see them go after Celsius after they've already gone into bankruptcy proceedings. I think that, you know, the SEC probably and we spoke a little bit about this on First Mover this morning. Had to check a box, had to say, like, if we're going after all of these other, other platforms, like, we also have to look in to some of the allegations that are going on with Celsius because they're pretty serious, right? I know Celsius is accused of using new customer funds to pay for, um, withdrawals. The indictment says Mashinsky portrayed Celsius as a modern day bank where customers could safely deposit crypto assets and earn interest. In truth, however, Mashinsky operated Celsius as a risky investment fund taking in customer money under false and misleading pretenses. We spoke about this at length on the show, you know, some of that like marketing and communications over what Celsius actually was and what Celsius was offering to its end users. And so surprising to see it come now. The timing is what's most surprising for me, but not surprising that the, the SEC has arrested the people involved and brought this. Anna, what do you think?
1: It's interesting, and there has been a fair amount of speculation about that, I guess, because uh, that we see a somewhat different approach to all these various institutions that came under attack, right? Like, we see, see lawsuits against just the company. We see lawsuits against executives, right? Like, famously, the, the SEC lawsuit against Coinbase is just against Coinbase. Uh, but in case of Binance, it, it's against the CEO. Also, there are cases where there is not just a lawsuit, but somebody gets arrested. And there is not enough details at this point to kind of infer what, what makes these cases so different, like what Machinsky did uh, so much worse than every other failing platform that's been in bankruptcy now. But I'm really curious to see how this case unfolds and what details surface. So, so yeah, let's see.
0: <laughs> Let me review the counts against Mishinsky. As of now, include securities fraud, commodities fraud, wire fraud, and conspiracy to manipulate the price of the Celsius token sell, according to the DOJ indictment. The Celsius thing is really interesting here with the sell token, as, uh, CEL, as it was listed. A lot of these exchanges and products do have their own native token, like Binance. You can list a half dozen other projects, right, that do have these tokens and in the past they've been useful for the exchange to bootstrap itself provide liquidity for the exchange but it does look like celsius was actively traded on the back end in order to manipulate its price and boost the value of celsius and sometimes these tokens are even used for creating loans like ftx with that tt token or other ways to keep the exchange floating when it should otherwise be insolvent so see that in here is an indictment against what is widely an industry practice uh, in inventing its own token and using it to trade against others? Jen, I'll throw it back to you for your thoughts.
2: Yeah, I guess, you know, we recently learned that Fahrenheit was going to come in and acquire some of these Celsius assets. I wonder if this will affect that in any way. I don't actually know or have any um, information, but hopefully we can find out if that's going to be um, implicated in any way. But I think we can move on to the next story. Another, another, Lawsuit, another update, and another lawsuit. Anna, what do we got?
1: Yeah, so we got a new development in the Coinbase versus SEC case. Which, like, we have SEC versus Coinbase, and we also have Coinbase versus SEC because Coinbase, as we remember, is also suing SEC over its attack on the exchange. This case took a somewhat interesting uh, legal turn, as Coinbase says that the Coinbase next argument is that. The SEC cannot just claim this huge power of the over crypto industry, just, you know, decide who is right and who is wrong without kind of a broader broader support from other branches of power. And they're using the recent decision of the Supreme Court that essentially uh, on President Biden's uh, student loan forgiveness. So the Supreme Court said the Secretary of Education could not claim such a huge uh, economic and political power without the clear support of Congress. And this means that Gary Gensler also cannot do that uh, regarding the crypto industry, which is an interesting move, I guess. I wonder how it plays out in court. I must only say that I feel sad when people hate student loan forgiveness, uh, but that's a completely different topic. What do you guys think?
2: That's my role on the show, and I often feel sad about many of the things that we talk about, but this is a really uh, interesting argument, I think, from Coinbase's lawyers to, to draw on that ruling from the Supreme Court, which came on June 30th. So after the SEC filed their lawsuit against Coinbase, that I, and I think it makes a lot of sense. I'm with you, Anna. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Um, I do want to say that um, former CFTC Chair Tim Massad was on First Mover recently. We were talking about the bipartisan bill, the Lummis Gillibrand uh, bill, that addresses crypto regulation, addresses a lot of the things that Coinbase wants to get solved for the industry and hopes to solve for the industry through these ongoing lawsuits. And uh, Massad said that you know it's not likely that we'll get any movement on on any of this ahead of the 2024 elections, although. You know he's hopeful we are all hopeful but um that is kind of another sad element of this anna like i would hope to get some movement as we go into next year but there's a lot other things happening in the political atmosphere over there in the us Will, what do you think
0: yeah what this boils down to is just a separation of powers with how the us government set up right we have our three branches pretty typical right and here the uh presidential arm of the government historically started meddling with some things economic. And that is not favorable towards Congress, which is supposed to act on these things and actually pass legislation. People get a little upset. They think like Congress is taking too long. And so that's why we see the executive orders that push forward such as things with student loan forgiveness. But at the end of the day, that part of the government doesn't have the ability to make sweeping changes like that. And so I think that's what Coinbase is reporting sort of out here being like, well, the SEC is technically under the executive arm of the government, and they are acting in this new industry with old information, and they're acting on it without the behest of Congress, which is actively working on legislation to address this whole part of uh, a new industry, honestly. And so I think they're upset about that, and it's a fair point to make. Now, the rebuttal, of course, is that maybe these things that we call tokens are just unregistered securities, and there is no difference to them just because they're on and digital. I think the XRP case we talked about at the beginning of the show is informative here, right? The fact that maybe these are not unregistered securities. They're not investment contracts. Just because uh, you say they are, SEC doesn't mean they necessarily are. So I think what we are seeing this morning after what was kind of a slow news week is two pretty big arguments compiled on top of each other. Jen, back to you.
2: Yeah, I don't think we said this yet. So I think it's important that um, Supreme Court ruling we're talking about Reinforced a legal doctrine that says the government agencies need clear support from Congress before making decisions of major economic or political significance. And then, Will, to your to your point with the XRP case, I don't know, just keep bringing up First Mover. I learned so much on that show. We had Lisa Braganza, former SEC Enforcement Branch Chief and attorney on the show this morning, and we asked her if the XRP case would have any kind of real implication for Coinbase's case. And she said that, you know, she thinks that Coinbase could and will bring up what happens, but it wouldn't really have any real effect.
0: We'll see what happens with it. Definitely a little bit different.
2: Stablecoin issuer Circle could cut some of its workforce to maintain a, quote, strong balance sheet. A spokesperson for Circle told Coindesk, as a result, we have reduced or ended investments in non-core activities And reduced operational expenses which include a marginal reduction in headcount at the same time we have identified new areas for investment and are continuing to hire in key areas of focus on a global basis will i'll pass this one off to you a story we've seen time and time again more layoffs what do you make of these developments at circle
0: yeah i was slightly surprised because usdc coin which is one of the premier products behind circle right now has been very strong over the last two years. And even going into a bear market, there wasn't like a huge drop in terms of stablecoin volumes or percentages compared to the rest of the market, right? And comparatively, of course, like we're still down double digit percentages for most products, but compared to token projects out there that are still limping along and keeping their teams, you would think that a stablecoin would be able to hold itself up. And I think it did for quite a while. And it's still basically the coin of DeFi. A lot of people are choosing it because it does have, a lot of the institutional proponents or pieces behind it that proponents do want. For instance, I think BlackRock holds a lot of assets here. They have good banking partners. They were able to weather the crisis back in, I think it was March, where we had the depegging event with USDC. So I was slightly surprised to see this. Uh, but looking into some of the information they laid out, it does look like non-core activities. Mainly means probably like around marketing and lobbying and things of that sort. I saw one person who I follow on Twitter just also was a member at, at Circle and they were laid off from the lobbying team. And of course, it's an important part of what Circle does is lobbying on behalf of the industry, getting in front of a key politician, say like, hey, stablecoin's is actually useful and a good thing. But maybe right now is not a good time to do that. And so they're just putting their dry powder somewhere else for the moment. Uh, I'll throw it back to you, Jen.
2: Yeah, I don't know if this is necessarily indicative of a business that's not doing well. It, it doesn't really say in this article how many people were laid off. Will, like you mentioned, um, these are in non-core roles. I don't know if that was a direct, a direct quote. But, you know, we've seen Jeremy Allaire doing a lot in Asia recently. It seems like Circle is really doubling down on their global strategy as regulatory uncertainty continues in the U.S., Um, Allaire recently said that they're considering issuing a stablecoin in Japan, and he also spoke um, to a Chinese news outlet and said that China should consider a UN-backed stablecoin to internationalize its currency. So it just sounds like, you know, they're taking more of a global perspective. Maybe there are some roles that were a little bit redundant, and their business strategy might be changing. I
0: I think that if you look at the Broader perspective, CoinDesk was keeping good track of these things. There's over thirty thousand layoffs as of a few months ago. That number is probably like slightly higher, but we are through the worst of the bear market. It looks like, especially in terms of price action, it looks like the FTX collapse was sort of the bottom, and these sort of layer bear market layoffs are sort of like the tail end of things before perhaps things get better. But that's just one person's opinion.
2: What a nice optimistic take! I was going to say, can the bad times really be over if we don't have regulatory clarity? In the U.S., I think the answer is no, but I look forward to good times. Shall we move on to the last story? Let's do it. All right. Telegram merchants can now accept payments in Crypto Wallet, which is the services provider built on the Ton network. That's the open network blockchain. Already allows users to transfer crypto between each other, but now merchants can integrate crypto into the bots that they use to accept payments. The system supports USDT. Bitcoin and TonCoin. Will, I'm gonna to toss this one off to you. Telegram's Ton journey has been an interesting one. And now we're here with merchants being able to accept crypto on the messaging app. What do you think?
0: Oh, I think we got to give this one to Anna. She is the Ton the expert. She covered this from the beginning of it all the way to the federations that's sort reformed of around Ton after it was struck down by the SEC.
1: It's been an interesting story because Facebook, Telegram wanted to develop its own coin and integrate it into its uh, app, which has obviously like vast user bases, which will give an absolutely different start to these kind of cryptocurrencies than to anyone else with a really vast user base. But the U.S. regulators weigh in. Uh, telegram was forced to abandon the project Uh, and then the the communities of developers said no you know what we're still going to do that ever since it seems like telegram never really given up on that project and as the Tonecoin which is by the way just one of the two projects that grew up of the original tone white paper another one is now called uh, scale. And Telegram has been just like quietly, slowly integrating, basically doing what they always wanted to do, integrating this crypto capacity into the messenger, even though I'm not sure how it's arranged, like if it's that, like Telegram officially doing that, it's done through like various spots, wallets, whatever, but the result is this, we now have Telegram that has kind of a native coin, a crypto wallet, and it's growing its capacities and its functionality within the messenger. It's really interesting to see whether this can really take off with the users.
0: Yeah, the TON network has been through a lot of different changes of the year. Back in 2020, of course, they went through the spout, the SEC tried to get their own blockchain payment network integrated directly into Telegram, which would be awesome for the hundreds of millions of users worldwide, especially for the cryptocurrency ecosystem, which uses Telegram quite a bit. But that hit problems, which I guess XRP and Ripple Labs, you know, they took it on. They're willing to you know, see it through to the end. Uh, Telegram had not issued any tokens, to my knowledge, at that point. So they decided to back off of it. And then an independent group of people came up with the Ton network and uh, the whole foundation, of course, and they pushed forward with building their own idea. I think to me, this is about decentralizing the governance so that the SEC and others can't go after Telegram. And now that they have something sort of set up, probably start pushing payments. The question for me now is how do you get cash into the system? Going from cash to crypto is generally pretty easy just through exchanges. Uh, But it can be a little bit harder given that there's a few more steps here using a messaging system. Jen?
2: Yeah. So this is a, a functionality for merchants who use Telegram for payments. Telegram users, like I said in the intro, have been able to Um, send crypto back and forth. Although I haven't, I haven't used it yet. And the article says that there are 700 million users who use the wallet service, but only 2 million, sorry, only 2 million of the 700 million Telegram users use the wallet service. So I think this comes back to like um, a user acquisition conversation. There are all these people on Telegram, but how do we get them to, to use this crypto service? And do they even want it? Do they want to be able to send fiat back and forth. And then I look at the news that came out of uh, Coinbase yesterday. Coinbase now has a functionality where you can message on the platform. So Ethereum addresses can communicate back and forth uh, between each other. I think if you have a lens address, you'll be also able to talk to people on the Coinbase uh, platform. So it'll be interesting to see which, who comes out on top. Will it be messaging platforms that integrate payments or will it be payments platforms that integrate messaging or will it be something different altogether? All right. We are going to leave it there. That's a wrap for our Thursday show. I'm Jen Sinassi. That's Anna Varukova. That's Will Foxley. Thanks for joining us today on Coindesk TV and the Coindesk Podcast Network. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network.